guys may remember, if, if you've been here before, um, I define and we've defined broken religion as God or as asking someone to carry a weight that Jesus does not intend for you to carry. Asking someone to carry a weight that Jesus does not intend for you to carry. And uh, from, from an illustration standpoint, as I've said that, I've been passing out weights like dumbbells. Um, and what I want to say this morning is if there is, uh, if there is a, a weight under your chair, I want you to look under your chair. And if there's a weight there under your chair, I want you, I want you to grab it and I want you to bring it up here and set it right here on the stool where they've been sitting. Um, uh, and I apologize if, if, there's, if you don't want to care, come up here with a weight and it makes you feel dumb to stand in front of people. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, but I want you guys, um, I don't want to spend a lot of time with this illustration, but I want everyone to be confused and I want everyone to be awkward. And I want everyone to wonder what in the world is going on. And then I want that to speak to you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time thinking about it, but I want what just happened to speak to you throughout the rest of the day. Um, Not just this morning, but I want that to speak to you. Broken religion's goal is to ask you to carry a weight that Christ does not intend for you to carry. The gospel of grace intends to take that weight from you and ask you to not carry it anymore. I said what I said about being confused. I'm, I'm a pastor. I've been to seminary and I spend my day thinking about stuff like this. And I'm still confused. But it is just really as simple as what just happened. Broken religion asks you to carry a weight that Jesus does not intend for you to carry. The gospel of grace intends for you to put that weight down. Um, Let's pray and study our scripture this morning. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the gospel of grace. And thank you for the writings of Paul to help us to understand how to live in the gospel of grace and not in the world of broken religion. God, convince us this morning. God, convince me this morning that we are free to live in the gospel of grace and the gospel of grace is a better way to live. God, convince my heart of that in practical ways. Father, I ask you now that you also just you take away the, the philosophical nature of this discussion this morning, God, and allow us to be changed practically. God, I think we know, I think I know this idea that we are not justified by our own righteousness, but by your righteousness, Father. And But, but God, I, I pray that that would... God, put itself deep enough into our, lodge itself deep enough into our consciousness, Father, that we would practically live out freedom in your gospel of grace. God, thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Um, so we're going to think a little bit this morning, so I need, you to, I need you to pay attention, and I hope that it'll be worth it. Um, verse 17 says this, 
But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ a servant of sin? Certainly not. It took me a long time to figure out what in the world this verse was talking about. But ultimately, the explanation of this verse is there is a critique by people who give in to broken religion. There's a a critique from the broken religion folks that says this. "If If you receive the grace of Jesus and then you still sin, the grace of Jesus is worthless. Understand that? Let me say it again. If you receive the grace of Jesus and you still sin after you receive the grace of Jesus, then the grace of Jesus is worthless. Because, as Dave mentioned in our call to worship, and I'm going to say right now, the goal of broken religion is to stop sinning. The goal of the gospel of grace is simply Jesus. The goal of broken religion is to stop Sinning. Now think about that in light of my explanation of this verse. Like broken religion people say, if you've received the gospel of grace and you still sin, then the gospel of grace is worthless because the point is to not sin anymore. Broken religion is consumed with not sinning. Um, last week our community talked about our community group talked about this and, and, and this idea is freeing to our conversation. Last week we talked about uh, I wrote it here the struggle with the inner fight to not sin and thinking that there's something wrong with us when we sin. You got that? Like there's a struggle in us when we sin that, that there's something broken and messed up about us that we just we're not doing it right. You, you got that? So I uh, I want you to think on on a deeper level. I I think that when the Christian who's been saved by the gospel of grace and understands the gospel of grace, they have broken religion seep into them when they sin. Because we think for some reason, because we sin, we're not doing it right. And, And the gospel of grace speaks this to you. That's not true. How many times have I said... Through this microphone, you have one enemy, and his name is Satan, and his only weapon is to get you to believe something that's not true. And he wants to seep into your brain like, I've got this gospel of grace figured out, and let you think that. And at the same time, coming through the back door with broken religion to make you think that somehow, some way, because you sin, you don't have it figured out or there's something wrong with you or you're doing it wrong. And what Paul intends to communicate to the Gentile in this setting is no, certainly not, exclamation point at the end of verse 17. What the gospel of grace and what Paul is trying to speak to you and break you free from broken religion is to lay that weight down. Lay that weight down. Can you hear me say that to you? Lay that weight down. It's so freeing. Broken religion's goal is to not sin anymore. Do you guys remember the two stories that I told? The first week and the second week. The stories were, the first week was there was a girl, I was uh, like in college and teaching in the, in the youth group at, at another church and there was 20 or, th- not 20, maybe 40 kids standing around before church started and 
uh, one of the older leaders in the, in the youth group walked up to this girl and, and very publicly and very loudly told her that her skirt was way too short and she needed to go home and she was not welcome back until she could wear more clothing that was more appropriate. And she went home and I never saw her again at that church. Because in this older lady's mind who ripped her apart publicly, the goal for that day's service was to keep people from sinning, not Jesus. And then I, the, the story I told the next week, it's at Super Summer, a Christian camp. Um, there's a girl who was really tall, and she had been told once or twice before that her, shirt, her skirt was too short and she needed to go change. And so she knew that. And so this worship, God was beginning to change her and God was beginning to do some gospel stuff in her own heart. And so she wore her best skirt, her best clothes to service this night. Like this was for her, the best thing that she had in her closet at camp that week was what she was wearing. And she's encountered by a, a lady who was a part of some other youth group and said, your skirt is too short, you need to go change. And this girl was like 6'1", so a, it was probably a normal-sized skirt. She was just really long-legged, and it looked short. And she walks out of the room crying, because in her mind, I'm wearing the best thing that I have because I want to honor Jesus. And what she was told was, stop sinning. And that, that's a good idea. Sin is bad, we don't want to do it. But don't hear me say that. I'll point on that in in a second. Hear me say, the point of the gospel of grace is Jesus. The point of the gospel of grace is Jesus. Because you and I, I said this last week, you and I are in our most flourishing, filled state of being when we are in pure, undefiled relationship with Jesus Christ. This is why we were created. Do you know... That you were created the single most important top of the list in bold writing goal and and purpose of your existence is to be in pure, undefiled relationship with Jesus. That's why that's why you are here. Um I wanna I wanna talk practically here. Um in, in my prayer, I, I wanted us to, to get beyond just the philosophy of this and get to the practical. Because broken religion, this sort of broken religion that we confuse, that we allow the enemy to lie to us about, you with me, what I said before, it infects the inside of us in one of two ways. First, we are left with a sense of pride, accomplishment, self-interest, or, sex, or, or self-exaltation. It says, hey, look at me. I'm so great, you should be just like me. When we are connected with broken religion, when we allow it to lie to us, we get, hey, we're doing this right. Everyone should be like me. Or, and this is probably more appropriate, more likely, I know it is for us as we talked in our community group last week and knowing some of you, it leaves us with a sense of failure, a sense of insecurity, and a sense of impossible expectations. Broken religion, let me say that to you. Let me, I want you to hear me say this. Broken religion, and you, we're all affected by it. Broken religion leaves us in the place where we have impossible expectations. And I'm telling you what, man, what I, the more I 
the more I grow, the more I think about life, the worst thing, the thing that makes us the most frustrated and angry in this world is when expectations are unmet. Think about your marriage. Think about your relationships. Think about the people that have made you the most mad in the last week. It's probably because they didn't meet your expectations or you didn't meet their expectations. Broken religion causes us to try to live up to impossible expectations. And the result is we're really, really angry at ourselves or at somebody else or God. We wind up saying things like this. I'm awful. I'm no good at this. I hope that no one notices how terrible I am at this. Can we, can, like, let's get to the baseline practicality of that. We are so deeply insecure and we say this to ourselves. I hope that no one notices how bad I am at this church stuff. Broken religion and it's infection. Broken religion not only affects the inside of us, it affects those around us. We impose this on other people. You have to do better. You have to be better. That's what's happening in Galatians. We withhold acceptance. We exclude We burden. You're not welcome in my club. You're not welcome in this inner circle. If you've got these things wrong with you. That's the two the two stories I told about the girls in the short skirts. That's the the point of, of these weights. If you can't carry this weight, you're not welcome here. We do that all the time. And we can say this in from a big picture perspective about a church. Like, if you can't carry this weight, if you can't be like us, if you're not willing to live up to all these rules in our club, you can't be a part of our club. Like, we see that on that scale. But I think, I think we probably do that a little bit more and a little bit more nuanced in our relationships with each other. We require people to adhere to broken religion. Um, And it leaves us all frustrated. So we have this inner frustration, we have this outer frustration, and we have this deep confusion because we're believing lies of the enemy. Um, Here's a quote that I read. uh, I've read this many times, but I've re-found it this week. C.S. Lewis. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy... The only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. The only logical explanation, and I think this quote is applicable big time to our culture, to our society right now. I'm going to read something to you. Um, This is like kind of a confession of my heart. um, And I believe confession of some of your hearts. I sin, but I do not want to sin But really, I do want to sin. When I do, I feel terrible. I see the consequence of my sin doing damage inside of me and outside of me. And I want to stop, but I can't. We go in this cycle and we just can't figure out this life and this broken, messed up stuff. Then we talk about broken religion and the gospel of grace and I just can't keep it straight. All right. Can I give you permission to be confused? Like, I'm your pastor standing before you, 
preaching the difference between broken religion and the gospel of grace. Like my life is dedicated to this. Like there's a lot of stuff about scripture. There's a lot of stuff about the gospel. There's a lot of stuff in the scripture that we can center our lives around. For Rick Maxidon, I want to preach this message. Like God has created me and given me this voice to preach this message, this series, this book. Yet, here, the confession of my heart is that I can't keep this straight. I can't keep it like broken religion and the gospel of grace just keep on interfering with each other. And I can't keep it straight because I sin. And then I tell myself right after I sin that I don't want to sin. And then I tell myself in that moment, shut up, you really, you want to sin, that's why you did it. And, and then we're just, we wind up in this spiral of what in the world is wrong with me? Are you, you, I really hope that you guys are, are connecting and tracking with this because this is so, so important for us. Sin still happens. And because sin still happens, we incorrectly think that there's something wrong with us. But let me tell you, no amount of sin for the, the person who's given their life to Jesus, no amount of sin, no amount of sin can destroy the beautiful art that Jesus is making in your heart. Because Ephesians 2.10 is the truth. God calls you in Ephesians 2.10, you are God's workmanship. You are. When you are confused, when God has placed on you a call to lead a church in this, and you're still confused, I'm talking to myself right now, I am God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. And that word workmanship, I've said it before many times, I'm going to say it again, it is the Greek word that is, is poetry. You are God's poetry. In all of your confusion and wonder and worry and stress and inner turmoil, you are God's poetry, God's art. You are his art. And no amount of sin and no amount of confusion is going to change that. This is perfect. God is beautiful. Verse 18 and 19. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. There's Paul dealing with his own confusion. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Here's a statement, a simple statement for us to, to make about this. Broken religion shows us our condition and the gospel shows us our position. Um, the best illustration that I can come up with this week to illustrate this point is a sports analogy, and I apologize for those of you who are not sports people to see the sports analogy, um, but I think it's a good one. Uh, throw that picture up there. This is Jack Haley, and the guy in the center right there, that's Jack Haley. Um, Jack Haley for, so the basketball se- NBA season goes over two years, so the 95-96 basketball season, he played for the Chicago Bulls. Remember who was on that team too? Michael. Michael Jordan was on that team. Um, so Jack Haley was on that team, and um, he played in one game that year. It was the last game of the season. 
So you guys might remember a guy named Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman was a crazy lunatic who did ridiculous, crazy things. Do you know what Jack Haley's job was? He was uh, Dennis Rodman's roommate on the road. So his job was to allow Dennis Rodman to still be Dennis Rodman because Dennis Rodman being Dennis Rodman is what made Dennis Rodman Dennis Rodman. You follow that? So he, need, he needed to let him still be Dennis Rodman without being Dennis Rodman so that the, the Bulls could be who, all that they were. So he was on the injured list all season long, all year long, on the injured list with, with a sprained knee. Because if he weren't on the injured list, he would have to dress. And if he would dress, then he might have to go into a game. And if he went into a game, that wouldn't be good. And he would also take a spot of somebody who actually might do something in the game positive. So they could only have 12 people in uniform. And if Jack was one of them, that means they only had 11 people in uniform. So Jack's job was, only, was, was Dennis Robin. He played in one game. You know what it was? The last game of the season. The, only, the last game of the season. And he played seven minutes. Jack Haley was not a very good basketball player. However, if you go to Wikipedia or ESPN.com and look up the roster of the 1995-96 NBA champion Chicago Bulls, guess whose name's on it? Jack Haley. Jack Haley's a terrible basketball player. Jack Haley is an NBA champion. Wait, he's not terrible, sure. From, from an NBA standard... For NBA standards, Jack Haley is not a very good basketball player. All right, please, come on. <laughs> from, it, from, from the perspective of an NBA basketball player, Jack Haley was not very good. He was in the, one of the worst. However, he was also an NBA champion. If you go, there's nothing that will ever take away the fact that Jack Haley has an NBA championship ring and he's... Just not very good. So, in light of, of Jack Haley, broken religion shows us our condition. The gospel shows us our position. No matter how hard Jack Haley tried, he was always going to be a mediocre fringe basketball player. But no matter how hard Jack Haley tries, he's always going to be an NBA champion. Do you follow that? You're picking that up? I think it's incredible to think this. Martin Luther said this, So when the devil throws your sins in your face, as he did to me this week, as he probably did to you this week, and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? One of the, great, one of the reasons why I like Martin Luther so much is he, he's, a, he's a trash talker. And he's a trash talker to Satan. Do you know why? He thoroughly understands his position. And he shows it here. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who has suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, I shall be also. That's that's huge. And 
here's the practicality of that. This is, like, I picture this. Have you guys ever seen the movie Luther? It's uh, out maybe 10, 15 years ago, something like that. Great movie. Uh, you should all go watch it. Uh, the actor who plays Luther quotes this in this movie, and, and it's in the middle of a prayer that, that Martin Luther is saying. And, and when I read this quote, I think, of the, I think of that scene. I think of Martin Luther praying this to God in the middle of a, of a terminal situation. However, there's some deep practicality to this. Go back to when I read that, that stuff about me thinking that I, I sin, but I, I know that I don't want to sin, but wait a second, you dummy, you really do want to sin, otherwise you wouldn't do it. That turmoil that was inside of me, that's, that's the enemy lying to me. And here's the practicality of it. Use this quote by Martin Luther proclaiming the truth of Galatians. Yeah, I deserve death and hell. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm not going to be good at it. Who cares? Jesus, Son of God, where he is, I shall be also. It's beautiful. Go go to, to verse 19 again. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've talked a lot about this inner turmoil, but the end of it is here, this simple phrase that I might live to God. Again, go back to the idea. You and I are in our most flourishing state of being when we are in pure, undefiled relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what live to God means. And Don Carson says this about that verse. Paul no longer lives in the realm of trying to gain justification. Justification means we have the right and privilege to stand before God, not by something that we've done, but by all that Jesus has done. We have the right to stand before God, not by obeying the law. Paul no longer lives in a realm of trying to gain his justification by obeying the law. And therefore, the law can place no demands on him. The law can place no demands on him. When you are confused, and you'll be confused. When I'm confused, and I will be confused. We need to proclaim the truth of this to our hearts all the time. We need to learn to do it all the time. We need to be around people who know to do it all, to speak this truth into us. Because broken religion infects even those who have been changed by the gospel of grace. It happens all the time. There were five of us sitting around a kitchen table last Wednesday night talking about wine and about broken religion seeping into our lives and we need to learn to proclaim to ourselves. No. No, I, I've died to the law. It's gone. It's history. It doesn't. It has no bearing on you anymore. It has no bearing on you anymore. And because it has no bearing on you anymore, you can live to God. And that just, isn't just some live to God where you're going to have Christian bumper stickers and T-shirts and be a cheese ball. That's not it at all. The point of living to God is that you might be filled to your most flourishing state. Do you want to be happy? Right? Do you want to be happy? Not rhetorical. Here it is. Right in front of us. But we're so messed up that we, we, we see this, we hear this, we understand this on a philosophical level. But when it comes to the practicality of dealing with our own sinfulness, we go right back to broken religion. 
and, and I'm all worked up about this, right? Like I'm spitting and snotting all over the place. But, but I'm guilty. We're all guilty. If I find in myself desires nothing in this world can satisfy, I can only conclude that I was not made for this earth. It's the truth. Live to God. Verse, this idea leads us right to verse 20. You've probably heard verse 20 before. Um, it's a favorite memory verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. There's a, there's a lot of beauty that's there, but I just, I can't, I can't get past the last little line there. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. I've been crucified with Christ. I have willingly died to my own self because I know my own self leads to broken religion and I'm a dummy. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I won't be affected by the lies of broken religion. Um, I'm going to hit you with a few, a couple of verses and a couple of quotes as we close this morning. Galatians 2.20. The life that we crave is not found in doing better, but in laying ourselves down and being filled by God. A friend, John Ryan, said this, There is no resurrection without death. That's, a, that's big. Think about Easter and Good Friday and death and resurrection. But there is no resurrection for our lives without death. Jesus said this, and it's recorded almost word for word. And three of the four Gospels. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you want to be happy? Give yourself to Jesus. There's a, a song that, um, it's an old country song that's been redone a few times and, and this, this main statement has been uh, stolen and used a bunch. It says, everybody wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to die. Don Carson says this, he, that is Paul, no longer is under the impossible burden of trying to earn acceptance with God through his own efforts. That is a sermon right there. He is no longer under the impossible burden of trying to earn his acceptance with God through his own efforts. Would you like to live there? I really, really would. Paul lives there because he has gained God's approval through justification that is in Christ. He's gained God's approval by justification that is in Jesus Christ. 
remember last week we talked about this word justified. It appears in the first part of Galatians 2. And it just means to cause to be right. Nothing that we've done, something that's been done to us. We've been caused to be right. Paul has gained God's approval through justification that's in Christ. And in this new relationship with God, he's found an amazing new freedom to live a life devoted to God. Thus, Paul is always seeking to live in a way that pleases God, yet not at all depending on his own actions for justification. God intends for you and I to live in freedom. God intends for us to live in freedom. I'll make a few statements to you about this freedom. My freedom is meant to save me from the weight of sin and its pull on me. My freedom is meant to save me from the weight of sin and its pull on me. For you four who carried up these weights and put them on here, think about that. For everybody who has received the weight that I've given to them in the last four weeks or Dave has given to in the last four weeks, think about this. We're thinking about our understanding of what broken religion is and its definition. Thinking that we need to carry something that Jesus does not intend for us to carry. Your freedom in Christ is meant to save you from the weight of your sin and its pull on you. Second statement, my freedom is not for me to be able to do whatever I want to do. And this is, this is a, a really, really slippery one because you are completely free, you are completely righteous. And I've said really bold statements that broken religion people would hate. That there's no amount of sin that can change the work of art that Jesus is creating in you. But that doesn't mean, all right, get to go do whatever I want to do. Because there is freedom to follow God. My freedom is meant to give my life to Jesus freely. And the, our pleasure, our greatest pleasure is found there. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Give it a try. Then the last thing. My freedom is found in my death. My freedom is found in my death. Um, I think I'll stop talking and let God deal with you and me. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you that you've changed our hearts and our lives. God, thank you for your gospel that affects us. God, I confess before you and I confess before these people that I am confused a lot of the time. And Lord, I pray that there would, there would be freedom that's found in that confusion, Father. That you have loved us and given yourself up for us. God, how beautiful is that? Thank you. 
God, and as the practical world happens to us where we're dealing with our own sin and the consequences of that sin, Father, may we see you as a loving, forgiving, faithful Savior. God, you're wonderful and you're beautiful and you're bigger and better and greater than broken religion. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.